Good morning. It's really great to be here with you guys this morning. Um, I just want to dive straight in, if that's okay. I wanted to start um, this morning by just telling you about a friend of mine called Jo. Um, my friend Jo was about in her early to mid-30s, and she was cycling to work one day, and um, she worked for a local church, and she was hit by a truck and killed. This was about six years ago. And the driver of the truck was arrested for causing death by dangerous driving. He really had no excuses for what happened. He had rearview mirrors. Um, he had that camera, you know, that shows you what's directly behind you. Um, there were also other drivers who were beeping their horns furiously, who were winding down their windows and yelling at him. And he was oblivious to all of this. He didn't do it intentionally. He, he genuinely he didn't realize what was happening until it was too late, and he had reversed um, over my friend Joe, killing her um, as it happened. And, you know, he was arrested, and he went to court, and he held his hands up and said, I'm guilty. There wasn't really anything else he could say. And the judge said to him that when we come back for sentencing, you need to know that you do face a custodial sentence. You will be going to prison. And in the meantime, between the judge saying that, and the day that sentencing came around, my friend Joe's parents wrote to the judge and said to the judge, we're Christians and we would ask you to show mercy to the driver. We don't see any purpose in him going to prison. It won't bring back our daughter. So please, would you show mercy? Now, because of the letter that Joe's parents wrote, the judge didn't send the guy to prison. He did lose his driving license. There were other consequences for what had happened. But the judge said, um, because they've written to me, I am going to show you mercy and I'm not going to send you to prison. And it made local headlines. It also made national headlines. Uh, The Daily Mail ran it under the headline, Death Driver Shown Mercy. And the reason it makes those sort of headlines is because it's so rare. It's so incredibly rare to hear that sort of story that in the middle of their grief and their devastation, they were able to ask for mercy to be shown. And one of the things that really amazes me, even beyond that about it, is that the judge said to the driver, Joe's parents have recognised how this has affected you. And I don't know about you, but I don't think I would care about how it had affected the driver if I was in that situation. I'm not sure that that would be my primary concern. I'm not sure. I think I might get to thinking about it somewhere along the line, but probably not in just a few months afterwards when you're still mourning this great loss of someone so precious to you. But Joe's parents were able to ask for this mercy to be extended towards the driver because they knew the mercy of God for them. They were so familiar and well acquainted with God's mercy that had been poured out on their lives that they were able to ask for the same mercy and compassion to be shown even to this guy who had taken their daughter's life. And as I say, I think it's astonishing and it appears in newspapers because it's such a rare thing. And the word mercy is actually just a rare word. We don't really hear the word mercy being spoken of much um, outside of church life. And actually, sometimes even within church life as well, the word mercy um, isn't one we particularly linger on some of the time. Imagine how different our society would be if the word mercy was more prevalent. If our politicians spoke about mercy towards one another or towards society as a whole. If our celebrities or our media 
or our business people or our healthcare professionals or in education, if mercy was not just kind of a word that was frequently on our lips but was also um, an expression from our hearts into action on a regular basis, our society would be radically transformed. And I know that you're in a series here called Kingdom Citizens, and I think one of the things that distinguishes us, those of us who follow Jesus, one of the things that marks us out as citizens of the kingdom of God is that we're to be those who bring mercy where no one else would bring mercy. We get to show mercy when society has run out of it. When other people say, no, we're done with you now, we get to be those who still say, no, there's limitless mercy for you. And I expect that um, many of you here, especially if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, will, will already be persuaded that God is a God of mercy. And many of us, the outward expression of this in our churches, I know this is true of your church, it's true of my church in Hastings, that in the last few years, we have been doing more and more and more to help particularly the poorest and particularly the most marginalized and the most vulnerable. Um, following the global financial crash in 2008, churches have really stepped up a gear in terms of caring for people that society isn't able to or sometimes isn't interested in caring for. But alongside that kind of increase in care for the poor, I think in this country there is still this lingering question that we have about does everyone who comes to us asking for help actually deserve our help? Should we help every single person who says, I'm in need, please help me? And I think... You know, we see images everywhere of um, starving children in the developed world. And those images are designed and to make us feel compassion, to make us feel like we want to do something, like we want to act. And that's really important, and it's really right, that when we see those sorts of images, that we should, actually our natural response should be, what can I do? How can we help? This isn't okay. But how are we to respond when much more prevalent in Western culture, when we see someone holding up a sign while begging for change and their sign says something like, why lie? I want beer. Are those who follow Jesus called to show the same level of mercy to someone like that as we are to people who are starving to death in developing countries? How are we supposed to figure this stuff out? Because in this country, we see newspaper headlines all the time that tell us that people are... Uh, scroungers, that people are um, skiving off work. We see headlines like this one that says, Vile Product of Welfare UK, where this was a guy, Mick Philpot, many of you will remember it, I'm sure, who set fire to his own house, and a number of his children died in that fire. But what this headline does is it makes an intrinsic link between the horrible, awful crime he has committed and the fact that he was on benefits as if the two things go hand in hand. And some headlines are blatant like that, but there are many that are much more subtle and that give us this kind of constant subliminal message that there are some people in this country who deserve our help and there are some people who don't deserve our help at all. And it means that we live in a context where we can be simultaneously appalled that people need food banks because they can't feed their children, whilst at the same time being appalled that some people can say, I'd rather be on benefits because I'm better off that way than if I went out to work. And so I'd love for us this morning to grapple with and explore what does it mean for those of us who follow Jesus in particular to have the mercy of God to those that we encounter. Um, If you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, 
I, I feel that I'm one of these people discriminated against by the media. I feel like I'm poor or um, marginalized or vulnerable. Then the good news for you is that God is especially concerned to lavish his love and grace on you this morning. And actually, that's my story too. When I became a Christian at 15 years old, I was saved out of um, a family that by the government definition of poverty was living in poverty. And what that's meant for me, actually, isn't just that God lifted me up out of poverty, but he has transformed my life and several lives around me in my family to actually go on and be used by him and to have a hope and to have a future. See, God's vision for those who are in poverty or who are marginalized by society isn't just to give them a hand out or even just a hand up out of their circumstances. The Bible says it's to make them oaks of righteousness for the display of his splendor. And I think wherever we look in the Bible, we can see that God has always been especially concerned about the poor. And when I first became a Christian, I wasn't sure that was true. I thought that God in the Old Testament, the part of the Bible before Jesus um, arrives on the scene, is, was full of rules and regulations and God saying, I'll smite you if you don't do the right things. And then Jesus came along and was full of compassion and grace. And so I had this idea that Jesus was like a softer version of God in the Old Testament. But it was a complete misunderstanding because actually if we look back through the whole Bible, if you read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you will find that God has always been especially concerned about those that society would disregard, about those who are on the fringes of society, those that others have no time for, seem to have the special bias of God towards them. And actually, even in um, the Old Testament, when God was setting out how his people should live, when he was giving the law to Moses to help society flourish, there's provision there made for people who are in need. There are things like the law of gleaning, which is where farmers would pick up all their crops, and God said, don't go back and pick up what's left behind. You know, our temptation might be we need to get it all up so we can sell it on and make the most money, but God said, don't do that. Whatever falls by the wayside as you go, leave it, so that those who can't feed themselves can find food from what you leave behind. You know, in the law, it also said that... um, Wages should be paid immediately and not deferred, that people's money shouldn't be withheld from them, but should be given to them when they've worked for it. It also said that interest shouldn't be charged on loans. And imagine if our society was like that. We see some exorbitant interest rates, sometimes 4,000%. And that has plunged many people in this country into personal debt crises And even contemplating suicide, it causes marital breakdown. All sorts of things are caused by debt. And so often that debt, the reason people get trapped in it, is because of the interest that is charged on loans. Yet God's way is to say, don't charge interest on loans. Just take back what you've lent to the person. You know, the whole economic system that God set out in the Old Testament was based on grace and mercy. It was all based on not letting... Um, the rich go on getting richer and richer and richer at the expense of the poor and not ever leaving those who are poor in a hopeless state because God set a provision that said every seventh year debts are to be cancelled and every 50th year not only are debts to be cancelled but if you've had to put yourself into slavery in order to survive you would get released And if you'd had to give up land that had been in your family for generations, when the 50th year came, it would be returned to your family. So God set this provision that every seventh year, your debts would be cancelled and every 50th year, everything would be restored 
to how it had been before. Which meant if you got into debt or you got into some sort of crisis, you were never going to be in a situation where you were completely hopeless and wondered whether you would ever make it out. Because you'd know the maximum amount of time you were going to have to wait would be seven years. And even if we're not persuaded from kind of these these rules and this way that God set out for society to flourish in the Old Testament, we just come to Jesus and it's clear in the Gospels that Jesus expended a huge amount of his energy with uh, spending time with people that others didn't want to spend time with. Jesus didn't seem to have any problem spending time with people that even the religious people said, you shouldn't be hanging out with them. You don't know who you're hanging out with. They would say to Jesus, do you know what they've done? If you knew what they'd done, Jesus knew what people had done. He knew what people were involved in. And yet he is merciful. And therefore he didn't seem to have a problem hanging out with those people that society doesn't want to know about. Not only that, but they seem to feel incredibly comfortable hanging out with him as well. Wouldn't it be great if the same was always said about us? I think increasingly it is but I think there's still some way to go for many of our churches. We see in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus starts his ministry, he says that he's come to bring good news to the poor. It wasn't just a kind of sideshow. It wasn't that Jesus got on with the real business of work over here, and then when he had a bit of time, he helped out those who were poor. No, it was the very heart of who he was and who he is and what he did and what he still does today. Because when Jesus came, there was this breaking in of heaven to earth. It was saying there's now open heaven, it's coming. The kingdom has come to us. The kingdom of God is at hand. And, you know, so often when we talk about that, we think about it in terms of healings. Like the healing we've heard about this morning. Amazing healing. And we think about it in terms of signs and wonders. And all of those things are wonderful. And who doesn't want more of that? We all do. But actually, sometimes we can forget that the invasion of the kingdom, heaven coming to earth, also meant that the poorest were released from their poverty, that the oppressed found justice, that they were raised up out of their situation. And so caring for the poorest in our society, it's not a departmental thing that is for some Christians and not for others. It's not something that is for a few enthusiastic people who want to be involved in food banks or night shelters or housing projects. It's something that's for all of us. Because in Matthew 25, Jesus makes this intrinsic link between how we treat the hungry and the thirsty and the naked and the sick and the imprisoned and actually how well we know him and how we treat him. And passages of the Bible like that are really sobering if we slow down and read them. They're the sort of passages I like to read really fast because they make me feel uncomfortable. I want to get to the next bit that's going to make me feel a bit better about myself. But actually, if we linger on them and let God work in our hearts, they change us and they make us more like Jesus. So you might think, well, this is all well and good. And, you know, I've read my Bible and I'm thoroughly convinced that God cares about the poorest and that he's a merciful God. But how do we apply it in our communities? How do we apply it in British society today? I think there are two particular stories in the Bible that can help us think about this. And the words are going to come up, but if you did want to turn to them, if you've got a Bible with you, they're in 2 Samuel 9 and Luke 15. I'm not going to read the whole passages, but I'm going to read some uh, verses through those passages. Like I say, they'll come up on the screen. So starting in 2 Samuel 9, it says this in verse 3. The king, that's David asked, is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, 
there's still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, sorry, David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Now we know from an earlier passage in the Bible in 2 Samuel 4, it tells us that the reason that Mephibosheth was lame in both feet is because he was in an accident when he was five years old. It says that his nurse picked him up to run away to safety with him. And the Bible says as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. Now imagine with me, if you will, if someone like Mephibosheth comes to your church or to one of the projects that you run and says, I can't feed myself. I am struggling to provide food um, and basically to survive. Please, can you help me? And you say to him, what happened to you? And he says, oh, when I was five years old, I was in this terrible accident. And basically, I've not been able to support myself ever since. Well, what happens in my heart in that sort of situation is that I find it quite easy to feel compassion and to feel sympathy and to think, I really want to help you because you're in need through no fault of your own. You're totally a victim of circumstances. You didn't do anything wrong. And also, did you notice how humble and how grateful he is? It says that he bowed down and he said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth was humble and grateful for David's help. And like I said, in dire straits through no fault of his own. But then we look at another story in the Bible in Luke 15 from verse 11. And many of us will know this story well. And it's a story about God's mercy and loving kindness towards us. But it has application as well for how we treat people who find themselves in difficulty. So Luke 15 and verse 11 says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, if I'm honest with you, I have a bit more of a problem here. Because if the prodigal son runs in today and says, please help me, I'm starving to death. And I turn around and I say to him, what happened to you? And he says, well, I actually had this load of money, but I squandered it in wild living. 
Something very different happens in my heart than when someone like Mephibosheth comes and asks for help. And actually, we know from the older brother in the story that the prodigal son spent some of that money on prostitutes. So if he came in and said, I'm starving to death, please help me, I'm in need. And I said, what did you do? What happened to you? And he says, well, I spent my money on prostitutes. What happens in my heart is not the same thing as what happens in my heart when someone like Mephibosheth comes along. I would be thinking, well, your own bad decisions got you into this mess. You made your bed. You had all this money. What have you done with it? Like You made your bed. You lie in it. That would be my instinctual reaction. I don't think I would often struggle to help someone like a Mephibosheth because there's a natural um, compassion there. But I find that there's not the natural compassion there when I know someone's just made bad decisions for themselves. And I think this is so relevant to our communities in British society today because we are presented with these really stark images of some people who deserve our help and some people who don't. And when we think about people, even who come to church or come to the projects that we run or we just pass them in the street day by day, maybe it's even family members we've got or people we know, so often we look at their behaviour and we think, I don't know if you deserve my help. I don't know if you'll just keep making bad decisions. And I think most of us will find that we have a scale in our hearts of those who deserve our help and those who don't. And then some people in the middle and maybe a grey area. So if I mention a few types of people to you, I wonder if you just think about in your own heart, where do you put them on the scale of deserving to undeserving? So if a widowed mother of three comes and asks you for help, or a homeless person asking for change on the streets, or a homeless person asking for change on the streets while sipping from a can of lager and feeding their dog, an asylum seeker fleeing from persecution, Or an illegal immigrant who's basically said, yes, I've come here illegally because I want your health care and I I want your education system because I want to make a better life for my family. What about a woman who's made redundant after 10 years in the same job and she's applied for hundreds of new jobs but just can't seem to catch a break? Or a woman who's unemployed and she's got nine children and another one on the way? I think if we're truly honest with ourselves, all of us have a scale in our hearts where we place these people on different positions. Our society certainly does. There's a woman in my church who gives countless hours to our food bank. And she says for her, the cutoff point for her compassion is if people aren't grateful enough. So we sometimes have people come into our food bank who come in and act like they have a right to the food. And then they leave and they don't say thank you for it. And she says when that happens, she literally wants to chase them out of the building and ask for the food back. Because she's like, they, you don't deserve it because you're not grateful for it. Even for those of us who are giving hours and hours of our time to care for some of the um, poorest and most vulnerable in our communities, we can find that there are cut-off points for compassion in our heart, even around this whole issue of how grateful people are. For me, it was um, I was living in China and... Um, a real kind of crunch point for me with this came where a child came up one night and asked me for money in the street and he was somewhere between five and seven years of age I'd guess and he was absolutely filthy and his clothes were filthy and hanging off him and he asked me for some money so I gave him a little bit and he went to a street vendor and bought a rice cake just a little kind of circular disc of rice 
And in my head, I was thinking, oh, this is good. I'm glad he's getting food. That's lovely. And I was kind of smugly congratulating myself for what a wonderful person I am that I helped out this child. And then I saw him take this rice cake to a woman who I think was his mum. And she broke off a small piece. And I thought, this is nice. She's going to have a little bit too. Oh, this is very good. Um, And then I saw her give the child the small piece. And she ate the larger piece. And what happened in my heart was that I was immediately outraged. I was disgusted at this behavior. I thought, she's just taken food from a child. And it didn't occur to me that possibly someone else had helped them out that night as well. And maybe the child had already eaten and she hadn't. It didn't occur to me, like, maybe it's like that thing on planes where, you know, you put your own oxygen mask on first. Maybe she had to carry the child somewhere where they were going to sleep for the night. And maybe she was so weak, she was like, if I don't eat, I'm not going to be able to get us to safety. Or it didn't even occur to me that if she'd done what I thought she did, which was take food from a child, how desperate would you have to be to do that? None of those thoughts occurred to me. I just went straight. um, there There wasn't even an ounce of compassion, if I'm honest with you. I just went straight to outrage and indignation. And what I actually thought to myself was, if I'd known that was going to happen, I wouldn't have given money to that child. So I not only wrote off the woman, but I wrote off the child as deserving of my help too. And I'm sharing this with you, um, assuming that I'm not alone in this sort of attitude. Assuming that some of you at least will be able to relate to that kind of quickness to get hard-hearted when people don't respond in the way that you think they should or the way that you think you would in the same situation. So what should our responses be? Because we look at these stories of Mephibosheth and the prodigal son, and actually we see that while they stand in stark contrast to one another, where Mephibosheth is in need through no fault of his own, but the prodigal son is in in need every bit because of his own decisions, and it's all his own fault, actually the father figure in both stories acts in exactly the same way. David, in the story of Mephibosheth, and the father of the prodigal son, they act with mercy and kindness, regardless of what's been done. You know, I think one of the things that's really interesting about this story is that King David, at the beginning, is saying, who can I show the kindness of God to? He's not saying, who can I be kind to? Who can I show my own kindness to? He's like, who is there that I can show God's kindness to today? And what an amazing question for those of us who follow Jesus in particular, but really for anyone to ask, how can I show God's kindness to someone today? Who is there that I can show God's kindness to today? Because I don't know about you, but often that's not the question I wake up asking in the morning, but I want it to be. More and more, I want it to be. And the amazing thing is that David was looking out to help someone in Saul's family, but Saul had tried to kill him a couple of times. David didn't owe Saul and his family anything, and yet he wanted to show God's kindness to someone. And likewise, the father of the prodigal son spotted his son when he was still a long way off, and his immediate response was kindness and mercy. My immediate response probably would have been, could have told you this was going to happen. My immediate response probably would have been, well, you made your bed, you know, you lie in it. Or even if I was going to forgive him, I think I'd want him to feel bad for a certain period of time before I got to the forgiveness and the... I certainly don't think I'd be going, quick, let's get the robe right away. I'm not sure that would be my initial reaction. But actually, just as we've seen that God has always been especially concerned about the poor, what these stories show us is that in God's kingdom, 
Compassion and kindness have everything to do with the giver and very little, actually, to do with the recipient. The compassion and mercy of Jesus is based on who he is, not on the object of his kindness. So when we're asking whether or not we should help someone, so often our starting place can be, well, what happened? Tell me, what, tell me why you deserve my help. I don't think we ask it like that, but the questions we ask are designed to get out of someone. Do you deserve my help or not? But actually, if you're a Christian here, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's not supposed to be our question. We're not supposed to start by looking in front of us at the person. We're supposed to start by looking at Jesus Christ and how he treats people and his heart of mercy towards people. Because he interacted with those on the margins of society. He interacted with despised tax collectors who actually wouldn't have been poor financially, but would have been poor relationally because people hated them because of the job that they did. And actually for some of us, especially some of us that are at the forefront of kind of caring for some of the poorest, if we're honest, we find it hardest to show mercy to the richest. Some of us find it quite easy to show mercy to those in need, but we struggle when it comes to politicians or bankers or people who are just wealthy. And actually the mercy of God extends to everyone. It extends to the whole of humanity. Jesus, he, he was happy to spend time with despised tax collectors, with unclean lepers, with shunned beggars, with prostitutes, who everyone else would have been like, don't associate with them, that's shameful. Jesus didn't put any conditions on his acts of mercy, but he acted always in accordance with who he is, which is the merciful one. So often our behavior towards people is, it moves depending on how they have behaved. Actually, we're called to be like Jesus and act in accordance with his behavior. Because God's mercy for people isn't founded on what they've done or failed to do. Aren't you glad about that? I am. If God's mercy for me was founded on what I'd done, I'd be in a lot of trouble. And that is a massive understatement. A biblical attitude actually isn't you made your bed. But it's actually like Jesus. It says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Actually, the response of Jesus to me has never been, you made your bed, go lie in it. And I'm so grateful for that. You know, the Bible says that God's mercy for me is new every day. That's actually because I need his mercy in my life every day. It's not just the day I became a Christian. I've needed his mercy every day since then as well. His mercy is limitless. So we're not to look at the same things that society looks at. We're not to ask, do you deserve my help? But our question, our starting place is supposed to be, how can I show you the kindness of God today? It's a fundamentally different question. And I love this quote by Billy Graham that says, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job to love. I don't know about you, but so often I get my role wrong. So often, I I love a bit of conviction. I love to tell someone what they've done wrong and how I would have done it better and what they should have done instead. Um, Not so keen on it when it happens to me, but I don't mind it that way around. And and I find that it comes very naturally to judge people and to think, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. Or, I don't know why you didn't know better. I find it so easy to do those jobs that aren't mine. It's so much harder to do the job that God has called me to, which is actually to love people with the same love that I've been shown. You know, in Micah 7, it says that God delights to show mercy. It's not something he's reluctant to do. It's not something we have to twist his arm to do. He absolutely delights 
to do it. It is the joy of his heart to show mercy to people who don't deserve anything from him at all. And, you know, so often in TV and film, when Jesus is depicted, he looks a little bit miserable. It's like he goes around healing people with this really somber attitude. I think Jesus would have had a massive grin on his face as he healed the sick and as he fed the 4,000. Imagine that as like this, he's breaking this bread up and it just keeps going and going and going. And he sees people eating and he sees their amazement and the disciples who, they'd already seen it happen once and then it's happened the second time and they still didn't know it was going to happen. Jesus must have been pretty happy about the mercy that he was getting to show when he fed people, when he responded to people that society hated and despised when he showed them mercy it must have thrilled his heart and it still does today actually and you know what for those of us here who know Jesus who follow Jesus we get the amazing privilege of being the mercy bringers in our society Um, a guy came to our food bank in November and he had mental health problems quite serious mental health problems he was homeless He wasn't coping very well being in the room with everyone else, so I took him to a separate uh, place. And then when we got there, he said to me, if I have to hurt you to get help, then I will do it. He immediately was like, basically, I am a danger to you, and I'm just letting you know. And then he told me about how he'd been sofa surfing when he'd had various people let him sleep in their houses, but he'd stolen from all of them. And he'd got help from mental health professionals, but then he'd been aggressive towards them, and he threatened to sue them. And he told me this story about how he'd basically made bad decisions that had, that had alienated um, people around him who had tried to help him. And I spent three hours that day on the phone to six different organisations, basically saying, can you help him? And all of them turned around and either said they couldn't or they wouldn't. For some of them, they just didn't have the flexibility built into the system. They were just like, he's not eligible, therefore until it's been freezing for three nights in a row and he's been sleeping out in it, we can't do anything. I said to them, he'll be dead if that happens because he's in a hoodie and jeans and he's got nothing else on him. They're like, we're really sorry. There's nothing we can do. Others said, we know of him and kind of we've exhausted, he's exhausted his chances with us. Others said, we know of him and he's not bad enough. He's not in enough of a state that we need to help him. And what struck me then was, do you know what? The church was the only place where this guy could still find mercy. Where this guy who, some of the stuff that had happened to him wasn't his fault and some of it was. But actually, the church was the only place that could say to him, we will give you mercy and mercy and mercy, and we won't cap it. We won't say that you've reached a point where we're done with you. And do you know what? These stories of Mephibosheth and the prodigal son, so often if we're Christians, we cast ourselves in the role of Mephibosheth and of the prodigal son. And that's great, and that's a really helpful way for us to understand God's kindness and mercy towards us. But you know, if you're a Christian here this morning, your role in the story has changed. You are no longer Mephibosheth. You're no longer the prodigal son. You are now an imitator of Jesus Christ. So you now get to act like the father in these stories. You now get to bring mercy where no one else will bring it. You now get to show compassion to those that society says we're done with you. It's an amazing privilege for us that we get to reflect the heart of God. We get to show mercy where it's deserved and where it isn't, based on the fact that we've been shown this incredible mercy that we didn't deserve either. We get to be different to society, to the media. And instead of saying, tell me why you deserve my help, we get to say, let me show you the amazing mercy and kindness of this Jesus that I worship and adore.